Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at Earsports.com. It is Thursday afternoon, and West Virginia's run has just started and also just ended in the Big 12 tournament. Welcome in, Will Aldrich. Will, West Virginia went from start to finish in the regular season. This regular season, with everything that happened and everybody that came and went for different reasons, whether performatively or on the roster, ups and downs, defections, injuries, so on and so forth, and they never lost back-to-back games. That hadn't happened since 1988-89. They have now lost back-to-back games against the same team. And I've been extremely high on this team. Thought they had a really high ceiling because of their offense. Starting to have concerns. Uh, how high or how bright is your red flag right now? I think it's, I think it's pretty high right now. Um, like you said, this has obviously been a season of up and downs. You know, season of runs, whatever you may want to call it. Um, but... You know, you'll get the, the first day of March Madness, March 18th, NCAA tournament starts. You have an entire week off. And I think this is not where you want to be at. You probably would have hoped to have, you know, at least another game, make, at least make it to the second round of the tournament. And now that this is kind of ending abruptly, I think it's kind of puts you in a tough spot with a lot more questions than answers right now moving forward. I don't know where we begin, but I think you can look at the, the final score and say, that's it. Um 69 points isn't going to do it the way they play defense. And again, their defense probably wasn't terrible. It it was not good in the second half. Familiar leaks sprung. But they only, only, only allowed 72 points to a team that has hit them for 84 and 85 this season. Didn't let Kay Cunningham go wild. Didn't get a big game out of Matthew Alexander Moncrief. Didn't get 31 out of Avery Anderson. And 72 points... I don't know, Will, the wise man said the other day that if you score more than them, you win. But also, man, if you can keep them into the 70s, you should be okay. And I know that sounded dumb. This is kind of what I was talking about. 72 points should be good enough to do it when you have offense like they do. But their offense wasn't there. Um, Some some ill-timed, I don't know, misses, I guess, when they had a chance to really hit some things. But also a pretty furious rally toward the end. I don't know how to feel about this one here. I don't see good enough offense to win. I saw better defense, but I also see a team that lost. Sprung some leaks, like I said, in the second half, and again, finished with just 69 points. Um, what's reality here? I think it's it's tough to say because, like you said, they had that long run. They were It was a 14-1 run midway through the second half, and then it turned into a 19-3 to run. Mm-hmm. And so you're down, and then they storm back. You know, They go on that, that 10-1 run in about a minute and a half. Um, and then I think that kind of that missed layup, by Matthews at the end of the game kind of summarized the entire second half. Oh, just, just they didn't, they couldn't capitalize when it mattered the most. And, and I think that's just kind of a good summary of how that entire second half went. I mean, in the first half, you know, Miles McBride kind of took over the entire first half. Cade Cunningham was struggled, turned the ball over, I think five or six times and really had the best player out of rhythm. And I felt mm-hmm. like they were in a good spot going into halftime, um, but obviously couldn't keep that same kind of momentum moving into that second half. We'll get into the details here, the minutia. There's a whole lot of stats, events, individuals to talk about. You mentioned a few of each there. Um, I think the obvious thing is what now? They're going to be out of sight, out of mind for the next several days. Friday, Saturday, and Sunday are the times where the selection committee sits down and says, okay, who's a one, who's a two, who's a two, who's a three? I have a hard time seeing this team as a three right now. I think you can make an argument that they're a four. They've lost back-to-back games. They have nine losses. Um Again, they were in that 23 to 25 range in the net rankings. Some teams above them 
aren't going to lose. I don't know how this team can be so sure they're off the three line right now. I could see it happening. Tell me why there are three. Well, so Bracketology had them as the second three seed. Um, and I think that kind of gave a little bit of room where if they would have gone on a run in the Big 12 tournament, they could have had a chance to have a little bit of upward mobility. Um, but the committee definitely wanted to see one last push from them. And I think now that we have a week off, now they have a week off and don't have an opportunity for that push, I think it's going to be a tough sell to try and keep that three seed going into the tournament. I think it's going to be more likely that it would be a four at this point. Let's go over that. Who are the threes that they're with? Who's the one, who's the three and the four on that three line with them? You said that they're the two. Who else is in that conversation for a three? Let's try to eliminate somebody from this conversation, upvote, downvote. So we have, let's see. So we have the three seats. So we're going to have, um, let's see, let me pull up. I've caught you up. Let me fill for a second, but you Google that. I think it's pretty much a given right now that Gonzaga, Baylor, and Michigan are ones, and it's probably going to be Illinois, maybe Iowa, depending on how they do in the Big 12 tournament, excuse me, Big 10 tournament. Can't see Houston, can't see Alabama getting in. Ohio State, not sure they can even win the Big 10 and get a one. So that's taken care of. The twos, there's no way for them to get into the two. I get that. The threes are where it gets crazy, and what, what concerns West Virginia's cause is that Kansas, Texas are, for example, teams that could jump up into there and stay on that three, maybe two. If they get up to a two, they knock somebody down. If they're on the three, there's not a whole lot of room on that three line, and they still have basketball left to play. Villanova, Colorado still have basketball left to play. Um, I'm even thinking out in the Pac-12. USC, I'm not sure they're a three, but they could be if they win that tournament out there. Again, that might come at the expense of Colorado, so the Pac-12 may be not taking up a whole bunch of space there. My point is, teams have a lot left to play for and a lot of time left to play for while West Virginia will be back in Morgantown only able to tweet <laughs> their, their cause. And I'm not sure that's going to be strong enough to get them a three or to keep them off the four. Um, I'm not sure where they go. I think I have to probably watch at least today's games or probably tomorrow's too, to figure out what the deal is. But uh, again, let's go back here. Who's, who's on that three line with them and who can we eliminate or who can we promote up or demote down? We've got Texas, Arkansas, Houston, and Villanova right now is the three seeds. Texas, you know, they split against. Um, but you look at Oklahoma as that first team in that four seed. And, I mean, going one and two and having this big of a loss late in the season, I think it's going to be tough. I mean, I, I don't know if there is an argument to say that West Virginia should be kept in that three seed over Oklahoma State, especially given how hot they've been as of recent. What about other teams in the four group? Who could come up? Because that's what you're worried about here, too. Who's, right. who's going to get hot and take a spot? Because if someone's going to leave that three right now, the team that's already out is probably the one that's closest to the door. So who's a four that could jump? Either I would say either Florida State, who's playing well right now. And they play and doesn't have well. to play Duke. They don't have to play. Yeah, it's, so that's fair. So if they go out, they basically get a free buy to the next round in the tournament, ACC tournament. And if they go out and win that game, you know, we don't know who they're going to play at. But if they do go out and win that game, and now they have that on their resume, that's going to be a big – I mean, it'd be tough to say that they wouldn't be able to move up into that three seed, given that they won that tournament. Going to be tricky. So Oklahoma State, I would think, in a benefit-of-the-doubt situation, if there's only one spot left in the three line, 
is going to Oklahoma State, especially if they beat Baylor. Uh, I'm not sure they will, but that would take care of that. Can they be one and one in the Big 12 and take a three from West Virginia? I don't know. I think they're securely a four. Villanova could win the Big East. That would probably get them up onto the three line. I'm trying to think of other ones here that are on that three four. Uh, Arkansas, Kansas, I think are threes. Virginia's in the ACC. Um, I believe they were losing to Syracuse when we talked, so that could help. Purdue's in the Big Ten. I don't think anybody expects Purdue to win. That's a four in a lot of uh, places there. So it's it's a lot riskier than it was before, and that's the that's the product right now of a first round exit. Excuse me, a quarterfinal exit in the Big Twelve tournament. And this is not what West Virginia does. They lost their first three games in the tournament. Uh, 13, 14, 15, they went 0-1, 16, 17, 18, 19. They won their two first games, got into the finals three times, the semifinals once, and had it today. I mean, had an eight-point lead, I think, at one point, and then as quickly as they were up, they were down by almost as much a 16-point swing in a short amount of time. And again, apart from the final score, usually it's higher for both teams. This is an awful familiar set of circumstances, is it not? Yeah. Because I think, like like you said last game you or last last podcast, I thought that you know if they were able to keep them in the seventies, I thought especially with Cade Cunningham coming back, and we didn't think likely to be back. He ended up playing, mm-hmm. especially with those two keeping them in the seventies. You'd think that West Virginia would be able to come up with a win, and and just lack of capitalization of of opportunities down down the game and down the stretch, and yeah, it just kind of a perfect storm, like like similar to last game. Absolutely destroyed in the boards, too. 45 to 32. That does not happen to a Bob Huggins team very much. Um, they had 30 defensive rebounds. West Virginia had 32 total rebounds. Um, offensive rebounds were 15 to 10. Again, second chance points, 16 to 10. That's not significant. But if West Virginia isn't getting those second shots, if they're missing, well, obviously, if they're not making shots, they're not scoring. Um, but that's that's kind of their game. You know, that they don't get it for the longest time, no matter if they had the two bigs or the three guards pre sheetway exit, post sheetway exit, an offensive rebound was really good for them because they either scored on it or they ran some clock and got something going. Extra possessions are good for them, and it, it just wasn't there. And, and, man, don't look now, but 7 for 23 from three-point range. This is not a great time to be kind of shaky at the three-point line. And, yes, uh, Sherman got it back into it, made five threes, but uh, McBride was 0 for 5. He's really struggled lately. Um, Bridges 0 for 3 last game, 0 for 2 today. Uh, Matthews continues to think he's a three-point shooter, only took one but missed it. McNeil was two for five, and, and the end of the game is pretty much an encapsulation of, I guess, both Matthews and McNeil. Let's let's just get to that. The final, yeah. I don't know, 45 seconds, West Virginia has a chance. Um, misses a shot, gets a rebound. Matthews or doesn't get the rebound, I guess. Matthews steals it from Cunningham. And, I mean, this is saved by the bell. Shoot your hopes and dreams, Emmett Matthews, and gets it stolen or it gets the steal and just misses a, a one foot or two footer where the Emmett Matthews legacy changes dramatically there. If he makes that shot. Right. And then at the end of the game, uh, McBride misses. We said he's over five Culver gets the rebound. He's in a bad spot. Can't call a timeout. Cause you don't have any. And McNeil, uh, it, it's such a hard play to break down because he can't take a crowded shot at that spot, especially if he has an instant, he can get set and shoot. And he runs out of time. Wouldn't you know it? He gets it off after the buzzer and it goes in, too. Um, it's almost an appropriate ending, isn't it? It is. And it is because because it summarized the entire game, like I said earlier. I mean, I remember even thinking as he was going up for that layup that all the, with all the flack and all the people that have, you know, had some criticizing him this season, he finally had a chance um, to kind of reverse that going into the Big 12 tournament. 
and it was it was a shocking miss. Matthews in the first half, 0 for 1 in nine minutes, had four turnovers and two rebounds. He did have one defensive rebound in the first half. That is one more than he had in the prior two games combined. And at that point, you're thinking, listen, they don't play this guy late in games. He's got about five to six minutes to get his act together. And I thought at the beginning of the second half, he he earned some more playing time. I'm not saying he earned a spot on the floor in the final couple of minutes, and you can certainly debate whether he deserved it or not. Um, in the second half, uh, three for seven. Seven's a big number. <laughs> um, did make two free throws when he went up the line, so he didn't shake his knees there like he's done it before. Uh, grabbed five rebounds, was active, had two steals, and and had some moments that were really good. Stole an inbound pass, got his team a, a possession that it needed. Sherman just happened to miss an open three, but... Uh, in the second half, when he's on the floor for 19 minutes, 19, he did not play the final 15 and the final 10 in 10 in the prior three games. He's on the floor for 19. They're outscored by nine with him on the floor. But if you look at that, the plus minus is in the second half. Culver, 15 minutes, minus 10. Bridges, seven minutes, minus 13. McBride, who was all world in the first half, 18 minutes, minus nine. McNeil, 18 minutes, minus 11. Um, I mean, nobody had it in that second half. I'm I'm surprised. Like I really thought that the way they ended the first half, I thought a young Oklahoma State team that saw its star player shake in by the other team's defense and determination. I thought that once that game went to eight, it would go to ten to twelve to fifteen, and West Virginia maybe not to fifteen, but West Virginia would be able to control it and quickly gave it away. Fell behind by ten, which that's the ninth time that's happened this season. Um, I have a hard time explaining the second half apart from just a generalization that. This is not spinning in the right direction now for West Virginia. Well, I, I want to know if you're going to bring up the plus nine for Taj Sweet because I noticed you left him out of that in the first half, giving big bonus there. Was very um, good in the first half, right? Yeah. Four yeah. minutes, got a rebound. I thought he played good enough defense. The stuff they were doing required some movement and just make sure you don't get beat middle. Um, he, he doesn't do anything very offensively, and you're basically playing four on five because they cheat off of him, but move the ball. I think he grabbed a rebound. He played all right, but and then just didn't play in the second half. I'm not sure it's a game for him in the second half, but foul trouble was strange. And again, Osaboyan, he's got to stay out of foul trouble. He can't right now, and that's a, that's another thing. But um, again, second half, does it surprise you because things look good, or does it not surprise you because again, that's kind of who and what this team is right now and has been for a while. Yeah, it's surprising. It's I mean, anytime you go into half like that, especially on a run, I mean, it looked like McBride was completely taking over the game. And, and Culver was struggling. And then Culver comes out in the second half, and it seems like he's on fire And then late in the first half. So, you know, what do you think? I mean, he was definitely up and down all game. You know, he obviously went in and, and got that shot of whatever it may be. Um, what do you think of his play overall? Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. 
post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Well, now let, let's qualify that. What do you mean by that? Because there's, there's layers here, right? Yeah, I mean, so he, when we don't know what the diagnosis was, all we just knew is that he wasn't playing well. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like what I thought is that if we could get, if West Virginia could get him back to the Derek Culver that we had earlier in the season, we've had a lot more success. And it seemed like he was doing that. And we didn't end up, they didn't end up uh, being able to take advantage of that. So do you think if, if he gives them the, those kinds of minutes that he gave late in the first half, early in the second half, do you think that that could be a key moving forward once they get into the NCAA tournament? It feels weird. I don't feel like 11 and nine is good enough for him on this team. Is that fair? I think that's fair to say. Um, and, but and, given... and again, no free throws in the final, what, 35 minutes of that game, maybe? That's not a good sign for him. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I had it in the, the Big 12 preview. You just got to get him the ball more. Yep. And it was tough today, so I think it's kind of hard to gauge. But if he can give minutes like he did late in the first half, early in the second half, I mean, I, I think that's going to be definitely a key if they want to try and, and reset and then make a run at the NCAA tournament. Yeah, got eight shots, only got three free throws. And again, those are early on in the game um, and had some punch in the second half. Uh, I typically watch the games muted. There's there's one reason in particular why I do that. But uh, I did notice when I was listening to the halftime, they were talking that he was sick. I was not aware of that in the first half. I watched the first half and thought, boy, he looks tired, dead. And then they, they kind of focused on him on the sideline. I guess he was he was not on the bench. He was under the bench, right? Um, just kind of like on his back, hands extended, trying to get some air, and you figure something's wrong with him, and it turns out he's under the weather. Uh, had to have an IV, so you figure that's maybe a cold or flu or something that dehydrates it, and looked pretty good. I don't know what was in that IV, Tang or Red Bull or something, but he looked good yeah, Whatever it did. in the start of the second half. Yeah, and then just, again, I wonder if that's a good a good matchup for him. It's weird because that's a team that doesn't have anybody who's especially big that plays a lot of minutes. That Kuma kid can cause them problems. I think he had maybe 10 rebounds in the first game and was in, in doses effective today. Uh, only played 10 minutes, but uh, when he came in, he, he was, you kind of noticed he was out there. But man, the, the Boone isn't very big. Moncrief didn't play a whole lot. Those are 220 pound guys who were 6'8, 6'9. I don't know. Sometimes I think Culver maybe needs someone to, to throw him around a little bit and to challenge him and, you know, bat arm and bruise him so he can respond. And maybe that's not the best team for him. Do you think that's part of it too? That's, that's, not that it's not challenging. It's just that a team that he's so accustomed to playing that that bull in the China shop way where this team, they don't really bring the China to the shop, so to speak. Yeah, I think it was an interesting matchup overall. And then for Derek Culver, I don't think he's been kind of tossed around in the post that much mm-hmm. since they played Western Kentucky early in the season with Charles Bassey, who someone he said that that was one of the only people that he hasn't been able to, to kind of move around. So I think it was definitely an interesting matchup. Um, and I guess overall, just not a great matchup for the Mountaineers overall. Yeah, which brings you to this. Um, they're not going to see Oklahoma State before. I, I think this year you can see them in a Sweet 16 game. I'm not sure what the rules are, but not going to see them for a while. <laughs> and that's a team that's beaten them twice in, in a row here. I don't think you can underscore how, how tricky it is to play a team back-to-back. There's, there's data out here, and I'd have to check our friend uh, Evan Miyakawa. But in back-to-backs, um, it's hard to sweep a team. And I want to say it's like 30% of the time the team the first wins the first one, wins the second one. Maybe that's not accurate. It was that way for a while, but it's certainly not too far from that. And they did it. And against a good team, I still think that West Virginia's again, we're talking about them as a three or a four. 
that's still a good team. That's one of your top 12, 16 teams in the country. I don't think there's any doubt about that, but Oklahoma State's very good, which leads me to this. There's some dark horse potential here with Oklahoma State, right? You have an elite player who isn't necessarily a great three-point shooter, isn't a, a great ball security guy, not great assist turnover numbers today. He was four assists, six turnovers, but Cunningham's a star. And they have, I, I think, surrounded him with very good players, too. They have some guys who can hit threes. You know, Williams is a good three-point shooter. Um, I'm trying to think. The other boom, Keelan Boone's a good three-point shooter. Anderson looks like he's going to be a star as soon as Cunningham goes pro. This seems like a team you could see playing on the second game of the second weekend, don't you think? Like Sweet 16, oh, I, I think I is very reasonable, but I think they could even win a game in the Sweet 16, too. I mean, it's it's crazy that, that we're talking about seven teams with Sweet 16 potential this year, but that's just kind of what we're dealing with with the gauntlet in the Big 12. But I think you're absolutely right. I mean, there's definitely, like you said, dark horse potential with this team. And they had their questions going in, obviously, with a young coach. Um, and most of those have been answered, you know, going down the stretch in the Big 12. And they could definitely go on a run. I mean, I think they are trending in kind of the opposite direction as the Mountaineers right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and really playing their best ball and, and playing as a team. And it looked like they've come so far from, you know, when we watched those games in, in early November and, and mid-December in the Big 12. And they're just looking like two completely different teams this season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and likely too. He's just a good player. When they lost Moncrief, who's that, that six eight six nine guy who had eighteen and eight or something like that, he only had eighteen points Saturday. They lose him very early to two fouls, and they bring Likely in. And at that time, you have Anderson, Cunningham, and Likely on the floor, and you're you're losing a six eight guy for Likely, who, by the way, is a very good rebounder for a guard. And he didn't look great in the first half. I think he was trying to get his odometer back up, but man, second half, eight points. Uh, it was three or four. Two of five of the foul line, which made it interesting, but eight points, five rebounds, two assists. And that's a guy who for seasons in a row now has given West Virginia trouble because you can't you can't square him up and keep him out. And I think I think it was McNeil. Actually, that was Anderson. And then Anderson was terrific in the second half. Fifteen points um on eleven shots with fifteen points. They were good. It's just I'm not sure it's a tough matchup, but I think they'd be a tough matchup for a lot of teams because they're firepower here. Um over to the West Virginia side. Probably should talk about West Virginia, I guess, since this is our West Virginia podcast. <laughs> Bridges, two games in a row now, uh, one for seven, 0 for five, two total points. He scores today in a putback, so nothing of his is working right now. Um, that concerns me because this is new, and I don't know if it's nerves or whatever, but he's even admitted he's a guy that gets inside his, ho- his own head, and if he doesn't take care of the mental stuff, it can, it can linger, and that just wasn't there. And, man, if you're not playing with anybody in that front court who can score in the wing, Matthews did give you eight today, but... Um, the bench just it just doesn't score right now. Um, Sherman can give you points, but he's almost like a starter in that sense. But and you're not expecting much from Engine Tweet, but Kedrian Johnson, Gabe Osaboy, and Jordan McCabe, you, you almost have to max out productivity from your starters. And if one guy is suddenly lost here at the end of the season, that's bad. And I, I'm very surprised that Bridges has kind of turned the corner here in the wrong direction because he looked so good for so long before running into either a wall or Oklahoma state here at the end of the season. Did you see anything today that was encouraging or was this just kind of a continuation from Saturday? I mean, first of all, I just want to say it is hard to ignore the potential, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he's shown, you know, flashes of what he can be, but the Mountaineers really need him. I mean, he has struggled the last two games. Um, and especially when you see the Mountaineers go small, you know, when people get in foul trouble, people like Gabe and, and DC, when they get in trouble, he's going to get the bulk of, of the the board, yeah. I mean, we're, they, they rely on him more. 
you know, down low. And it's going to be a key moving forward and something to definitely, definitely keep an eye on because if they want to make a run, when they go small like that, they're really going to need him to be, to be a lot more productive than he has been. Mm-hmm. And then again, McCabe comes in at a timeout. He's at the scores table. They call a timeout and they immediately jump into a press and, and just swarm him and harass him. He plays two minutes in the first half and doesn't play in the second half. That's not a coincidence to me. Um, if you can tower over him in the backcourt, he's less than effective. And Keydrian Johnson plays late. Osa Boyan's got to stay out of foul trouble. And I just don't think you expect much of NJ and Thweet, even though Thweet did give you a plus nine in the first half. Um, so you, you got to get the most out of your top five or six from scoring. And, uh, man, even if one part goes wrong, that's how you can end up with a 69-point game. It's it's that kind of a thin ice situation here, too. Um, let's talk good. I did like their defensive game plan in the second half. What did you – in the first half, excuse me, not in the second half. <laughs> Lightning struck me there. Uh, I did like their defensive game plan in the first half. When you look at the end of the game, Oklahoma State does kind of do what they've done to West Virginia. Again, 48 and 50 points in the paint in the first two games. Um Slightly different this game, but still successful. Uh, they get 40 points in the paint, 17 out of 33 on dunks and layups, which is honestly pretty good because those should be about 80, 85% of the time you should score. They're about 50. Um, and I think a lot of it was that they, they they were good enough under the basket, not blocking shots, but taking charges and having people down there to make things difficult. But even away from the ball or on the ball, their defense in the first half was good. What do you think of their game plan there? I think that, you know, Keith Cunningham's obviously their best player. So when he isn't himself, it kind of throws the entire rhythm of the Oklahoma State Cowboy offense off. And I think they did a good job. You know, Deuce McBride was, was hounding him in the first first right. half. And, you know, when you get misses and turnovers from a guy like Kate Cunningham, you have to capitalize on them. And they didn't. And I think the first half was that point where they got up by a certain number and then like eight or so. And then that's kind of where you have to turn the page and you have to kind of try and put them away going into halftime. And they weren't able to do that. Mm-hmm. Oklahoma State hung around. And then the second half, you know, it's t- you're not going to have two halves of Cade Cunningham like he was in the first half. He bounced back, started hitting his shots, and then that's where the Mountaineers started seeing most of their troubles. Yeah, I like what they did, though. And that's that's the guy. So attack him and jump him. And they did. They didn't press. But they, one thing that West Virginia tries to do is, is steer you toward one half, maybe even one quarter of the court. Make the court smaller, and then if you can, send a trap. And and they did a lot. They they did some things that kind of made him give up the ball. And he's smart, and he's unselfish. And I think he likes to be that type of player where he facilitates, makes the pass, that makes the pass. It's not to get the assist. Maybe he gets it out of his hand and someone makes the assist. And, like, the third guy for West Virginia on defense was pretty good in that first half where the trap came with two people, and that other defender was playing, like, free safety. And just jump into the passing lane, neither discouraging or disrupting or stealing passes. And that was good. Oklahoma State changed it up. Didn't do a lot of that in the first half or in the second half. Stayed out of trouble and then ran some cool ball screen stuff that got them open, got them downhill. You know, if you do that double ball screen, you're pulling defenders up too. You're going to leave the back line open for back cuts. That happened. It was a good a good adjustment. Boynton's a good coach. Um, and by the way, he's 5-4 and four against Huggins now too. That's pretty good success for a team that has been been building toward a season like this. Cunningham changes a lot, but they haven't been very, this good for a while. Um, and he's he's five and four against Huggins right now too. Again, if you're South Carolina, you're probably you're probably scratching your head right now, wondering, hey, could we have him here? Could we bring him back to the alma mater? But again, they're they're going to be a good team in this tournament, and all of a sudden they get Baylor. And I don't know who knows. Like with Kansas now without McCormick, Baylor's Baylor. I get that, but there's 
this is this is kind of open, and I, I don't discount Oklahoma State as a team that gets hot. Like if they hit perimeter shots, they're going to be tough. They don't really rely on the three a lot, but they have shooters. Um, today they're just let's see, six and nineteen from three. Nineteen's a lot for them. Six is kind of a lot, but um, they're they're just tricky. They're good. Um, and then West Virginia still think they're good. Still have some concerns and maybe more than before. Um, it just feels like if they get going, they can get going, but just could not sustain it today. And and this is the worst part for them. You know, they're they're a team that their mantra is control what you can control. You know, don't worry about what this person says, what this pundit says, what your opponent says, whatever. Just go out and play your game, guard, rebound, control what you can control. And that includes winning games. And the way you get up to a two or the way that you secure your spot on the three line is to win. And they can't do any of that right now. And again, they can get bumped from a three to a four, or they can even stay on the three line, depending on results around them, which they have no control over. And the difference between a two and a three, again, not a big deal. The quality of opposition I get, yeah, that matters a little bit. Two and a four, three and a four is a big difference because then you got to play that one seed in the first um, game and the, the second weekend if, if you do get there, which I still think they have that potential. I do worry about them being a four and drawing a really good 13 like uh, Toledo or somebody like that that can score and run offense. Um, it'll be interesting to see what they do. But I guess at this point we'll, we'll wrap it up here. They can't do anything but watch and root. What's the best outcome for them from the rest of this weekend? Is it Oklahoma State winning the tournament and just saying, all right, well, that's a team that maybe has our number, so we shouldn't feel too bad about that. Or is it you know, a combination of Big Ten teams and Pac-12 teams losing earlier on, and all of a sudden they're in the same boat as West Virginia, where you have to make season-long decisions about a three or a four? Um, what are the set of circumstances we have to look for if you're trying to figure out their spot in the brackets? You know, you mentioned Oklahoma State going on a run maybe being what's best for the Mountaineers, but, I mean, that that's a realistic possibility, I think. I'm really excited for this game tomorrow against Bill. I think that's going to be a really good matchup. Um, probably going to come down to a few possessions out of the game. I think they can hang with them. I'm excited to see this Oklahoma State with this Baylor team, something we haven't seen in a little bit. Um, and then I do have a question, a little bit a little bit off topic, but, but Mike Boyan. Um, there's obviously going to be some decisions to be made. Out of Oklahoma State, do you do you think that that's a real possibility that he could he would consider going to South Carolina? Yeah, I think if I think if Martin isn't there, and I'm not sure that happens, but I think if he isn't there, you know that's that's where he's from, um, that's his alma mater, and he's coaching the area around there. I just think that that makes some sense. And now, can they pay him better than Oklahoma State's the question? And um, listen, this this Oklahoma State team is good. Uh, Cunningham is not going to be in the team next year, but Anderson and Moncrief are going to be there next year. They're future players. And you know, Williams is a guy that I think they really like who they can maybe get to come back as a second year senior. And they're going to recruit well. Like he's, he's a good recruiter. Um, I think a lot of people look at Cunningham and say, this is a one man gang or a one man recruiting class. It's not, it's done a good job there. Um, the ball's in his court. I think that if Oklahoma state is smart, you know, they're going to have a new athletic director soon. A really smart thing would be to, hey, my, one of my first moves is to give my basketball coach, who's very popular, uh, an extension. And that that's a way to solidify things. Now, a lot has to happen here. If they go 0-2, eh, I don't know. Then you're in the middle of a building project still. It's not quite as high or as far as you want it to go and to be. If they win one or two more games here this weekend, if they're in the second weekend or the second game of the second weekend, that's Brinks truck stuff right there, right? I mean, that's like that's like name your own price here. And I think that he might get into a bidding war, but 
he's he's got a lot going at Oklahoma State too. I think it would be a pretty tough situation for him to leave if if he continues to win this season. But what does it come down to with dollar signs? If if Oklahoma State is situated where they are and they, they've always been a good footing financially, but if USC has to fire a coach, that takes some money out of the bank account. And then you got to hire a coach and the staff and make things work. That's going to be difficult too. I'm not sure how high and how far Oklahoma State or uh, South Carolina can go against Oklahoma State, which kind of has sneaky deep pockets. I think it's I think it's a possibility. We'll know more, but it's hard to leave this situation, Oklahoma State, right now, isn't it? I think it's. I mean, this is going to be interesting to see how this plays out because Frank Martin, he's still the coach at South Carolina, um, and obviously they're struggling this year. They've had some struggles since they went to the Final Four. I'm not sure. Obviously, everything can be fixed with money signs, but I'm not sure. I mean, the fans feel like they they deserve. I mean, it's like, I don't know. South Carolina is somewhere that you've been able to go in and have, you know, annual success. Mm-hmm. So I feel like the, although getting, making a splash and getting a coach like Mike Boyan would be a huge step for the program. I'm not sure they're at the point where their fans can expect yearly success from their basketball team. Yep. Um, played point guard at South Carolina from 2000 to 2004 and then coached at Furman, South Carolina, or excuse me, Furman, Coastal Carolina, Wofford, South Carolina, that's all in the in the the vicinity of Columbia, and then of course he was on the um the bench for Stephen F. Austin when they beat West Virginia in the twenty was that sixteen tournament? That right. was, I think that was twenty fifteen because that was I think okay. my junior year of high school. Okay, all right. Well, don't say that because that makes me feel a little bit aged. <laughs> I'm also looking at Boyton is younger than me too. That's kind of a weird thing as well. Uh, also, he makes a million dollars a year according to this Wikipedia page I'm looking at. <laughs> Uh, so going to change. He, yeah, either way, he's getting paid. Yeah, I don't think. I mean, he's from Brooklyn. I don't. I don't think he's going to Fordham. You know, I think if you're looking for a homecoming, it's probably going to be Columbia and the SEC. And that's one thing too that the SEC kind of gets left on. They've invested a lot in head coaching hires in college basketball, and Frank Martin was one of them. Um, I don't. I don't know that there's any type of a difference there. I mean, it would be continuing the trend if you hire Boynton, but. I really think that Oklahoma State's got somebody here. He's a good recruiter and obviously a good coach. He's got a good staff and got a chance. Um, I'm going to wrap it up here, Will. Um, one thing you liked, one thing you disliked today. Um, let's see. I liked I liked Deuce McBride having a big comeback game in the first half. You know, I struggled a little bit in the second half. But I like to see that, that he can get back to what he was in the, the middle of the Big 12 schedule. I agree. And I didn't like the ease that Oklahoma State was getting the looks that they needed late in the game. Hmm. I'm trying to think of something new here. McBride was one. I love that flourish at the end of the first half and the fact that he really rose to that level and he was physically able to do so. So I don't want to puppet you there. Um, and again, I already talked about their defense that I liked. I liked Taz Sherman taking over the game in that spot. Uh, we saw McBride do it earlier in the game. We saw McBride do it earlier in the season at the end of games, but um, Sherman's got that swagger about him too. And if he hits one or two, he's going to hit four or five. And he was, he got him going. He got him back. And I like that because he's, he's been coming back and trying to get level again after that groin injury. And I think that was good. I I just did not like how, how easy Oklahoma state got some scores to get in the lead and to stay there. They had, they had one possession when they were up eight or 10 and it was a garbage pass into the lane to Boone, Caleb Boone and Boone got it. And, and, I think his back was like to the basket or he wasn't square. It was a garbage shot too. And it went in. That can't happen. 
that just can't happen. You've got to do something. And, and again, like I don't, I'm not advocating for this, but like you've got to have a hard foul on somebody soon. If they're going to keep coming downhill at you because they're not scared, you got to scare them. I don't know how to say it any other way, but like if teams are going to look at you on, on film and say, all we got to do is turn a corner and we can get a layup, put some type of fear in their head, right? Like forearm, two arms. Uh, body blocks, something like that. Like a hard foul might do wonders for this team, but I just, I just didn't like similar to you. I just didn't like how easy scores were, and, but that's not new. So yeah. the tournament. This, uh, ends. Go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say this uh, might be looking a little bit too forward, and we'll talk about this maybe in a, a month or so. But Bob Buggins has got to get Tash Sherman to come back. Absolutely, that's that's uh, no doubt about it. There because he he can make a difference there and. Um, when he's good, he's good too. So that'll be interesting. So, uh, will one post game podcast? Um, I think the fans will blame this on you. Sorry, but that's the way it is. You've never done one of these, and here we go. First time you've done it, but uh, we'll get at least one more chance to do this in the NCAA tournament. We'll find out Sunday. Um, Sunday selection Sunday, a three or four. We'll find out. I don't think there's any danger about a five. I don't think there's any chance for a two. So it's it's pretty much hurry up and wait right now. And then you're back on the diamond uh, tomorrow, right? Yeah, tomorrow afternoon. All After right, well, let's, let's wrap it up then. Until next time, I am Mike Casaza, and across the town from me, that is? Will Aldrich. All right, well, take care, everybody. We will talk to you soon.